Just off the training. Oh, uh, don't forget your lunch. You made me lunch? Uh, yeah, and I've put it in my old school gladiator lunchbox. All right, my little brother is gonna earn some major iconic hipster points over his signies. I, um, I don't know what to say. Just say, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. But as it's a morning session, I think I can leave it here. Oh, wait, no, you, you're embarrassed about my gladiator lunchbox? Uh. Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that has never been more grateful to not look at a wall. I'm Gavin. And I'm back, bitches. I knew you were going to say that. Because I think you said that the last time you were back, bitches. You said, I'm back, bitches. You're back, bitches. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Don't, don't sound so happy about it. Did I sound unhappy about it? You're like, oh, I knew you were going to say that. I just, of, knew, I just knew you were. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh. been a long few weeks. It, <clears throat> yes. It's been a weird few weeks. Yeah. It's still weird. <laughs> Life is weird. Yeah, I guess, though, if you're in a time zone for the best part of a month, it takes you a little while to get used to not being in that time zone it's, a little bit. It most certainly does. <laughs> Uh, and just, you know, getting used to sleeping with someone again. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> and and the cold, the, the, the climate change between here and Florida is significant. I went from 70 degrees and humid to snow and 10 degrees. I think it was like between 10 and 20 when you arrived yeah. back on Wednesday night. The airport, though. Oh my god! It's was, weird flying in the pandemic. It really is. I was saying to one of my coworkers that it reminded me of Glasgow Airport that time that I was getting a flight at five o'clock in the morning or something like that to mm-hmm. Amsterdam to get a connection to Boston. Right. And I couldn't ask my friends to take me through to the airport for three o'clock in the morning because right, yeah, that's just a dick thing you ask know, somebody to do. Right. So take me through for midnight. Uh huh. And so one of my friends took me through to Glasgow Airport for midnight, but that meant I had five hours to kill in, in the an airport. airport that had no planes taken off and no planes landing. Why didn't you just get a taxi? Oh, I, sl- I was worried I was going to sleep in, <laughs> which I have never done, but yeah. I, I didn't want that to be the first time that I did it. <laughs> but it's like a, for something, a, a, a building that's so modern, it is weird how haunted a place like an airport is when there's nobody in it yeah it's creepy just so weird but this was like i got at detroit at six o'clock in the in the evening yeah and it was empty yeah there was more staff than there was passengers Mm -hmm. fewer flights Mm -hmm. oh there was tons of flights yeah but they're like small and everything in detroit airport is pretty much because you can't eat in restaurants still in, in Michigan. Yep. So everything's pretty well pretty well shut, except for Atwater, and that's just takeaway. And you don't really see that on the... No. 
on the, my side of the security. No. Um, Pensacola Airport was a bit busier. Um, but even that, you know, you, you typically going through TSA and everything, getting your shoes mm-hmm. off and everything, it's typically quite a grind and you're standing in line for a long time and there was really no line. It was still a bit of a grind because I just, I need to invest in some travel bras. <laughs> I need to invest in some bras that I wear just for traveling that have no metal in them. That's me again. Yeah. Because every time, every time I go through the thing, they need to pat me down afterwards. They pat me down and every time it's my bra clasp. Huh. And you'd think that they'd do that. <laughs> well, so they're like patting down my back. You know, and oh, it's just your bra. Although the woman in Pensacola also was like checking my underwear. She like pulled my pants out a little bit to check my underwear. And I'm like, wait a second. This is. You need to buy my coffee first. <laughs> this is a little more invasive than, than expected. I guess there was like some a metal thread in, in my undies or something. I don't know, but what? still. Because there was like a little square. There as well. you're doing the whole yeah. Peter Hanswell, yeah, because it comes up, it tells them where the metal is, right? Ugh. So it's either on your arse or your floof, I guess. <laughs> what could that have possibly have been? No, it was in the back, it wasn't in the front. Oh, so they can tell whether it's front or back as well. Yes, they can. That's a good wee gizmo, and you know, it only look, took maybe two seconds, it was really invasive, but it only took maybe two seconds. There was a uh, a family there with with a baby and they had all the baby stuff and they had like a bag full of like oatmeal or something for the baby cereal sort of thing or, or um and they had that poor family out and you know explaining what every little thing was for a good five ten minutes so huh. it could have been worse who's gonna blow up a plane during a pandemic seriously <laughs> The whole it's thing. pointless because they're only using the small planes because they don't they don't have enough people to fill the big planes. Right. You think, oh, it's going to be nice and roomy because there aren't as many people. No, they're going to stuff everybody on a small plane. Yeah. <laughs> save, was, save money, but they'll still charge you the same. Yeah. The same price. Oh yeah. Bastards. Yeah. Well, they still need to make their money. They still need to make it worth the the fuel that they're burning. Yeah. So. It all kind of reminded me of getting flying out of Lansing one time where I parked, walked to the building, got through security, got to the departure lounge, got to the bar and ordered a drink in 10 minutes. Ah. I reckon I could have probably done that in Detroit. Yeah. On, on Wednesday night. Yeah. And that never happens. No. Even when I flew out of Detroit that Sunday, it was, you know, there were slightly more people, but it was still quite easy and stuff. And then, of course, (laughs) I had a connection in Charlotte. And in Charlotte, you know, they make you walk walk down the stairs and outside. Oh, yeah. (laughs) um, They didn't have like the little tunnels attached to the to the plane. Sky bridge. Yeah. And then um, for my connecting flight to Detroit, they have this thing like at the end 
of the terminal and it's got like five little it's like a it's like it's more like a bus terminal than mm-hmm. a than yeah, an Glasgow's like that airplane, that's airplane you know so you you walk down this row and then there are like all these planes lined up with like the numbers and everything so and there's like four planes there at the same time the and they were standing outside smoking a cigarette <laughs> as he leans against it <laughs> so they're boarding all of these planes all at the same time and the woman sitting across from me had initially gotten on the wrong plane can you imagine <laughs> Because they're going to treat you very suspiciously if you want to get off that, that flight. Right, Because yeah. they think that your luggage is on. Because sit- she's sitting there. She's all ready to go. And then, you know, they've sealed the plane. And the pilot says, the all right, we're, yeah. we're, you know, we're on our way to Charleston. And she's like, wait a second. What? I'm supposed to be going to Detroit. Let me off this plane. <laughs> uh, and they did eventually, um, you know. And it ended well, but initially they weren't going to let her off that plane. She was going to have to go to Charleston. I'm a little surprised. Yeah. Tough titty, madam. As <laughs> <laughs> a customer service right. response to that. Right, because we were 35A and I think Charleston was like 35B or 35C. So, And then there was a 34 plane going out and a 31. It was... That's true, it though. It could be confusing. You go to an airport, you see a plane, you go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Sure. Give us some of that aviation calling news. Our beloved Charlie DeMello. As we like Charlie. We do. We do. He's our favorite. He's revealed he caught COVID last year and is now donating plasma to the NHS, proving once again why he's our favorite. He said he caught it. He doesn't know where he caught it. He doesn't know when he caught it because he was asymptomatic the whole time. It's just because they have to get tested all the time now as a precaution. They're like, oh, you had COVID. He's like, did I? (laughs) My dad was like that with Lyme disease. They, They found the antibodies for Lyme disease in his blood once. And he's like, I don't remember ever having Lyme disease. So... Bodies, they're funny. If you've ever had a disease that you forgot that you had, <laughs> talk to the street at gmail.com. Hmm. Such a sweet guy, though, to donate his plasma. Of course he was going to donate his plasma. When I... I think I saw plasma for the first time uh-huh. in the last couple of weeks. Uh-huh. It's weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't look like how I expected it to look. I'm not sure how I expected it to look. Like slime? Uh-huh. <laughs> I expected it to glow, I think. <laughs> and to be used in spaceships. Oh. Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know. Devastating news. As Maureen Lippman has stated, she will be taking a sabbatical from the cobbles. She'll make her return as soon as she gets her vaccination for the COVID. Apparently she's had her first shot, but she hasn't had her second shot yet. I don't blame her. I really don't. I don't blame her, but the newspaper article made it sound like she was going to be taking months off. Right. I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, it depended upon which which paper you were reading, because I've read several articles on it, and some of it kind of insinuated she was already back. Yeah. And some said she was going to be out for a long time. And then, you know, it's like, well, she said she was going to wait until after the vaccine. Later on, we found out that she's already had at least the first dose of the vaccine. So we're just waiting for the second dose. And mm. we have to wait like two weeks in between. I'm not sure if we read that. I just know it wasn't the sun. No. Never read the sun. Never. 
Never. Fuck the sun. <laughs> the paper, not not the gaseous ball that gives us all life. Yeah, don't fuck that. No. That There's only hurt. one winner there. <laughs> Finally, Corey has supplied yet another contestant for Dancing on Ice as Kate Connor actress Faye Brooks has laced up her skates and has hit the ice. Yeah, I watched it on Sunday. Did ya? Yeah, she was pretty good. She looks like she's going to win it. Yeah, I've I've, I've heard I've heard good things about her abilities on the ice. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, she was she was genuinely <laughs> she was good. Good. It made me watch uh, Ray Quinn, mm-hmm. who people thought was my uh, illegitimate love child. <laughs> It doesn't look like how I look now. No. But it kind of looks like how I looked when I was 19. He was very good as well. He was Only without those... the mullet. Uh. <laughs> he has hair. Uh, he was one of those guys, and I think Faye's probably the same, that mm-hmm. I think she has some kind of background in dance, which has mm-hmm. helped her out, but she's just kind of taken to it. I mean, they show clips and the build-up of her falling over, but... right. Yeah, there was never any danger of that. No. Yeah, she was very good. Good. That's like what, like the fourth or the fifth person from Coronation Street. To... It's one a year. Yeah, it's kind of like with uh, I'm a celebrity. They always try to get mm-hmm. at least one Coronation Street mm-hmm. person on there. What if... Maria's done it. Sean's done it. In fact, Maria, Samia found her husband on Dancing on Ice. Yeah, she did. I don't think Sean did. <laughs> Anthony Cotton. He got quite far. Yeah. I think Samuel got quite far as well. Yeah. There must be something about walking on cobbles that makes you <laughs> good at maintaining balance on ice. Yes. Improves your balance. That well, that's quite news. Our mailbag. Just Sally on Twitter atted us. Is that the right phrase? She atted us. Yes. Glad your dad's better. Nice that you were able to do the podcast from afar and she wished you safe travels. Thank you, Sally. Thank you, Sally. And now hindsight corner. Can you imagine what this is about? In other words, what did you get wrong last week? I can't remember. I was in a bathtub. Ray and Abby. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Mm. They didn't actually have sex. He just took pictures of her and told her to go away. Abby did go to Ray's room with the intention of following through on Ray's blackmail plan, but all Ray wanted to do was get a photo of Abby and her knacks to expose her infidelity so he could use that to get the garage. Abby says this week Ray almost had her prostitute herself, and according to Corypedia, in terms of what Ray owns, he owns Chariot Square Hotel, the Drawbridge Hotel, Riverlands Hotel, the Lancastrian Hotel, the Roundwell, the Waterway, the Welton, then there's the Viaduct Bistro, Webster's Auto Centre, the Furniture Thing, trademark pending, and <laughs> Streetcars. So why is he always just at the Bistro? Well, or that one hotel? Because they have to make sets for these things. Mm. So let's just make one. You enjoying your punchki? Uh, there were no punchkis in Florida. <laughs> yeah, the punchkis, I think arrived the day you left i know it's so weird and we've been eating quite a bit of punchkis mm. i can tell <laughs> oi <laughs> what that's empty boxes oh right not that suddenly a fat bastard 
<laughs> and now, this. <laughs> You're not suddenly anything. <laughs> I'm not sure for that's supposed to mean. Welcome, welcome. It means you're already a fat bastard. Oh, that's unfair. <laughs> uh, last year tonight with me, John Oliver, just enough time to quickly talk about de-gingered. We got rid of a redhead. And this was Ches and Gemma getting photoshopped for the Fresh Clothes oh, Advertising Campaign. Oh, that's right. Yes, campaign. we did get rid of that redhead. And we got gingered poor Chesney. Rid of Chesney's red hair. I was Gavin and you were going to miss a good place. Yes, I, I was. Watched that. You were running in a very convoluted process for City Council. Oh, God. I'm so glad I didn't get that. In <laughs> hindsight, I'm so glad I didn't get that. Because I would not want to sit on a City Council during a pandemic. It's bad enough sitting on a quality of life board during a pandemic and then having to rush to Florida and all this stuff. That whole malarkey started the November before when mm-hmm. there was only one guy on the ballot and that was my first experience of voting in a American election. Where you had only one guy to vote for. <laughs> and so I voted for him and he immediately withdrew right. because he was a fireman or something. Right, like yeah, and you would have to give. you would have to give up. His Being position at the fire. Fires. Yeah. Enjoyed putting out fires. So they had another one where it was a draw between you and some guy. Right. And then that guy pulled out. Right. But not oh, like that. What a mess. Yeah, because he really wanted me to do it. He's like, she's really good. She should do it. Why am I even here? And so they got, they threw somebody else at me and. They won. Yeah. You reminisced about the year before when we were all snowed in and our presence was driving you mental. We'd had a snow week, and that was enough to drive you mental. It's been a snow 11 months. I know, I know. It came up in my Facebook uh, in my Facebook memories yesterday. It texts, uh, you know, a post that I said, it's just, I don't think these kids are ever going back to school this year. And that was because of the snow. Yep. Oh, God. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. It's like uh, all those jokey posts about, what would you do in a pandemic sort of thing that keep coming up from years past? And it's like... I'd eat punchkies and watch Netflix. That's if, if, what it turns if out. If only we do. If only we do. Uh, you know. In fairness, right now, I'm just trying to finish Star Trek Discovery and that's CBS All Access. Although soon it's going to be Paramount Plus. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> Well, you should, because the new Spongebob movie is going to be on it. Tyrone encourages Fizz to agree. I nearly put on us onto the Spongebob soundboard, which would have given us this thing instead of last year tonight. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Hmm. Tyrone encourages Fizz to agree that letting a psycho into their house may be a decent way to appease the behaviour of their misbehaving child. Oh, Par- parents of the year. Jade. Tim finally gets Charlie's signature on the divorce papers, but it might be a little too late. Too little, too late. Uh-huh. Gemma's exhaustion is making us lean that there's something else going on in the storyline. That was when she had uh, postnatal depression, postpartum. Maria and Gary have to deal with losing a baby. Sarah's wedding is going to be Charles Rennie Macintosh themed, which may or may not be awful. That was actually pretty nice. It was beautiful, yes. Tim's dad gets Tim bought 4,000 in a profane tizzy. Steve and Tracy read the notebook. You were forced to read my notes, because I think something crashed. Yeah, something glitched. (laughs) 
Moment of the week was Maria and Ali on the occasion of Maria recounting her stillbirth story and a boring moment of the week was Has Table 2 Paid Their Bill? And that was Coronation <laughs> Street and the talk of the street this time last Had year. Had they? Had Table 2 Paid Their Bill? That's one of those mysteries that I don't think we ever found out the answer to. Shall we dive in, my dear? Was it Carol at the table? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. Sadly not. First storyline today is Debbie Downer. On Monday, Yasmin and Sally are quick to descend on Kevin as he leaves the house. The good news is that Abby is okay and will get out of hospital. Ray Weinstein, though, is missing. Sally wonders what this is going to do to the sales and leaves a message with Debbie to call her back. Later at Sally's, Debbie has shown up pleading ignorance about Ray's dealings. She's trying to get her head around this whole mess herself. Yasmin seems unsure of any of this, but Debbie swears on Sophie and Rosie's lives. That was nice of her to do that. Debbie is as angry as they are and promises to speak to her solicitor. She hopes Ray's gone for a long walk of a shop here. Hmm. Then Abby's home and wants to get straight back into the Rebel Alliance stuff. Kev wants her to get in the house and settled and Seb thinks the fight has been won and Roy is is on this he's going to take care of the whole council thing right. Abby you have nothing to worry yourself about correct and Abby being the constant hero yeah she's got to shove herself back in there yep a little later Roy comes round to announce <laughs> that Phoebe Buffet has been arrested and the committee uh-huh. is to meet again to revisit the decision on the development Ray is still missing and Abby's memory is a blank. She wants to retrace her steps but Kev is dead against it. For fuck's sake you nearly died but this is something Abby needs to do. So she goes out for some air and maybe jog some memories. So she returns to the bistro, the scene of the crime. I remember something about Ray arguing with someone and then Debbie comes in and Abby fills in the blank. Debbie was there and she was the one what called the ambulance. Debbie admits it, but sticks to her story of ignorance. Abby thinks that she abandoned her and left her to die, but Debbie begs her to stay and not go to the police. There's more to this story. Mm-hmm. And she explains that she hates Coronation Street. Yes. She hates the people on it. Yes, she does. And she was happy to see it getting raised to the ground and happy to do business with someone she thought could make that happen. Mm-hmm. But she didn't know he was such a perv. He had a reputation for getting the job done. But not like that. Even if he did have a problem completing last week. Oh, but not like that. Ray. <laughs> he didn't complete all week. She explains what it was like when she and Kev moved there. Their mum had died and she was expected to fill that role while being at school. No one knew how miserable she was. She felt better when she left and she found that she was great at making money. So she jumped at the chance to build a fucking skyscraper. And she's not about to let Ray ruin it. Then Abby spots an envelope that Debbie claims is what she's due money-wise. Abby's going to go to the police. But Debbie again begs her to stay. And Debbie says that she did what she did for Abby and for Faye. She claims to have been working both sides, looking for a way to get Ray done. So what, says Abby? You battered his head in with a bottle of champagne? No, says Debbie. It wasn't a bottle of champagne. (gasps) Like what? More like... Helen is miming something. Ray's height? Oh. Debbie's height. Oh, it's Faye and Adam. Except. Except wash. Adam was sitting down. <laughs> Adam was sitting down and was completely unprepared for it. I will say this, though. I knew she was lying from the very beginning. I think she's really convincing. She has giveaways, she has tells. That are dramatic tales that so the audience is in on it. Mm-hmm. Like 
she's meant to kind of look that kind of weird way that shows that she's about to tell a lie. Yeah. But all through this, I'm like, I've no idea what's going on. Mm. <laughs> which, which is generally true. Mm. So Debbie goes into a long detailed account of what happened after the camera cut away last week. Debbie claims they've been abducted in the boot of Ray's car mm. and he drove to somewhere that she heard water. Mm-hmm. He'd pissed himself. <laughs> when he opened the he boot... He finally completed. <laughs> no, bravo. When he opened the boot, she twatted him with the car jack, killing him. It was self-defence and she begs Abby to believe her. Mm. Abby isn't sure why she hasn't gone to the police, but Debbie thinks <laughs> too much time has passed now that Ray has swum with the fishies, see? Plus, she's destroyed the CCTV footage already. She's been a busy wee bunny in yeah. the last 15 minutes of uh-huh. Friday's episode. Right. So Abby returns home just as Kevin and Sally are chatting about the development, which is now officially fucked, and Ray, who has officially disappeared, and Debbie, who officially manages to wriggle her way out of anything without so much as a scratch. Abby goes in for a rest and lots of water. But she can't stay there long because next we see her, she's at the cop shop. And DS Exposition comes out and explains that they found Ray's car down by the river. Now what can we do for you? Mm-hmm. Oh, hi, Abby. We found Ray's car, by the way. It's yeah. down by the river. What were you going to tell us? Yeah. DS whatever. Uh-huh. He would have been a better guy there. Because right. he would have just yes. let her talk. Yeah. Yeah. Where is DS whatever? We like him better. <sighs> For whatever reason, Abby seems to bottle grassing Debbie up and says that she's there to tell him that Ray was wearing a blue shirt. Thanks for that, says DS Exposition. Then we see Debbie going into a grotty bedsit where a very much alive Ray is waiting for her. He's expecting a passport from her, but she tells him he needs to be patient. Otherwise, let's hope the police get to you before Gay Mick. I don't understand this at all. Why is she helping him? Is it just because he threatened her? He threatened her. He threatened to kill her if he, he, she didn't help him. Well, she's kind of complicit. Yeah. It's like, but he's so annoying. I, I, I would get to a point where I'd be like, all right, that's it. I'm not doing anything more for you. Enjoy sitting in this bed set for the rest of your life. It's kind of the extension of last week when the villain that we had maybe six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. There's no sign of that guy anymore. Yeah. Ray's completely Ross from Friends now. Yeah. I mean, he was always kind of Ross from Friends. Yeah. But he's gotten worse. Definitely got worse. It's like when things go wrong, all of a sudden he just falls to pieces. I owe you, says Ray. Funny you should say that, says Debbie. <laughs> I want all your businesses off you. She calls herself a businesswoman and a good one. Mm-hmm. Then Miles arrives with the paperwork. Ray reckons that he'd rather take his chances in court than agree to this. Finds says Debbie who points out that Phoebe Buffet has already been arrested and Miles reckons that he could get around 15 years for all the charges against them. Ray thinks Miles is a crook. That's rich. Debbie points out the development plan and the lack of skyscraper on the Weatherfield skyline is all his fault. Ray refu- refuses to sign the paperwork until he's in Turkey. He's going, to, he's going to Turkey. Mm. After they're done, Miles plays a part of the audience and remarks that it's an odd strategy admitting to murder that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Debbie seems to have been taking her ray pills and says this puts Abby off the scent, keeps her in the middle of the lie, and Abby has as much to lose as Debbie does. How? How? <laughs> what does Abby have to lose in this? Not, no, well, I mean, if she... 
if she bangs her up now, then all the people on the street don't necessarily get their stuff back. But if she waits and bangs her up after she's given everybody back their stuff, she doesn't lose anything. Yeah, I suppose. She loses vicariously through other people. Right. And Abby is smarter than this. Why? I... Oh, well. Oh, well. That isn't a satisfactory explanation at all, says Miles. Abby goes to the bistro to see Debbie. She hasn't told Kev. She saw nothing and knows nothing. And if Ray's body turns up, Abby will deny any knowledge of this. And she'll do all this on the condition that the people who sold their houses can buy them back for the same price. Deal, says Debbie, who finds it almost impossible to hide the smirk that's on her face. Because mm. I guess that's the money coming back. They paid right. all this money for all these houses that they aren't going to knock down now. Right. And now she's going to get the money back when they buy the houses back. Right. But she's got to buy them back at cost. It still puts I more money in, the, in their account that she can then right. ride off into the sunset with, I guess. Right. On Wednesday, it's dark when we see Debbie clopping down the cobbles and she's immediately pounced on by Abby, David and Sally, the latter two who are keen to know what's happening with the houses. Encouraged by Abby's eyebrows, Debbie says that she's cancelled the project, the houses won't be bought, deposits will be refunded and David has first offered to buy his old house back. Spread the news, says Debbie. So she and Abby go at the bistro where they find common ground of being screwed by Ray. Abby is glad that Debbie kept her word about the houses, but Debbie has reason to believe that Abby didn't keep hers when DS Exposition comes in, asking Debbie about her movements on the night that Ray went missing because it seems the 999 call for the ambulance was made from her mobile phone. Yeah, duh, they can trace these things. Yep. I'm, I'm so glad that they finally realised they could trace these things. Yes. It's, it's when it helps the storyline but yeah so debbie thinks on her feet and says that she left before the ambulance arrived she thought abby had overdosed and wanted nothing to do with it and abby doesn't blame her saying that she would have done the same and this seems to satisfy dsx position for now abby asks debbie to give the garage back to kev debbie says that she's tried that he's not interested abby says he's a stubborn man she just needs to try harder when so, did we get a keyboard what huh? When did we get a keyboard? When we got the computer. No, not that one. This one. Oh, remind me, I told you I wanted to make the jingles. <laughs> I didn't think you were serious. Yeah. I have no fucking idea how to use it. I've got a MIDI keyboard. It's not the same as a, like a Yamaha keyboard that you just no. turn on and suddenly you're playing strings or whatever, hitting bossa nova. You get to plug it into a computer that knows what it's doing, and the Mac seems to like it. The laptop doesn't like it at all. Oh, so. Hmm. Sorry, you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> so Debbie doesn't ask Kev and just delivers the paperwork to the gallet to the garage. All it needs is a signature, and the garage is his again, and he gets to keep the ninety grand that he was paid. Isn't that a good deal? Mm. Debbie isn't denying that she made a bunch of bad decisions, but she's doing everything that she can to make things right now. So back at the bistro, Debbie calls Ray to update him. And I think at that point, I'd forgotten that Debbie was meant to be the baddie here because mm-hmm. she'd spent pretty much 75% of this episode running around to try to fix things. Right. So when she picked up the phone and started to call Ray, I'm like, all right. Oh, <laughs> All this is a big lie. Right. Anyway. Yeah. She's having steak for dinner while he's on the instant soup. 
The assets are being sold off, which should raise enough money to send Ray to Turkey. Ray's on the bare bones of his backside, and Debbie's coming up smelling the roses. Enjoy your soup, she tells him. And fuck right off. <laughs> then back home, Abby thinks Kev has just got the deal of the century. Kev is surprised that she's singing Debbie's praises, but Abby points out that it's Ray who should be the focus of their hate, manipulating Kev to sell the garage, making her nearly prostitute herself that time, all that fake business. Blah, blah, blah. At least David is trying... At least David? At least Debbie is trying to make amends. She's been a victim in all of this too. Hmm. So it does seem that Abby is... Kind of falling for this. Yeah. Then on Friday, David is chatting with Maria when Debbie comes clopping along again. She's about ready to get the paperwork for him to buy his house back, but he's oddly reticent coming up with excuses like Lily having a dentist appointment. Maria reveals that she can't buy the salon back, and Claudia has no interest in doing so. Yeah, she's off on a on a cruise. Right. During a pandemic. Yep. Zombie cruise. Right, yeah. There are no cruises right now. There are no cruises. Nobody's doing a cruise. It's bad enough, you know, them saying, oh, so-and-so is going to Turkey or something. Cruise ships were like the first super spreaders of the pandemic. They're not coming back anytime soon. I'm absolutely fine with the show not being 100% up to date <laughs> with, with how COVID is working out. Right. Because it's impossible. Right. So it's unfair to um, to take too much of the piss out. Over because of that. Right. But However, going on a cruise, <laughs> that's never going to suddenly just get better. No. No. <laughs> but it is so Claudia. It is so Claudia. It's so Claudia. It's just because, you know, the actress who plays Claudia said, I ain't doing this no more. Fuck you very much. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with you people. Which is sad because she was fabulous. Yeah. And I wish her all the best. And she's probably smart to be staying away during a pandemic. The actress who plays Claudia, smarter than Claudia. Rula Lenska. Yes. Debbie Which is also a fabulous name. When you're a kid, you don't know where to start. Where does the first name start and end? <laughs> when you're a kid, you have no idea. When I first saw Rula Lenska written down, mm. I didn't realise it was like soon. Rue McClanahan from... Uh, yeah. The Golden Girls. The Mick is a bit of a punctuation point, I think, in mm. the name. Rula Lane. Yeah. Rula La. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Next, we see Shona bitching to Maria about the house and Debbie dragging her heels, and Maria drops David in it a bit when she says the delay <laughs> is Lily's teeth's fault. This is news to Shona, and David has to come clean. They don't have the cash. The money that they got from Ray paid off the mortgage, and now they need time to arrange a new one. And Shona is not impressed by this. No, and also, don't they have some money squared away because of something else that happened years ago? No, because they couldn't fix a sinkhole. Right, but they should have been able to fix the sinkhole. Which is still there. Yeah. We just never see it now. No. The less said, the better about the sinkhole, I think. Do you think the sinkhole was part of a pre-COVID idea? Yes. Do you think COVID fucked the sinkhole idea? Yes. Because why would you go at the bother? Yeah. I saw some old Inside Soap articles uh -huh. of when the the sinkhole was spoiled. Right. And they were making out like it was going to happen in the middle of the street. Uh -huh. Like the cobbles were going to be destroyed because the sinkhole was going to happen. Right. Outside the rovers, essentially. 
<laughs> I don't know. No. Happened in David's backyard. Right. Apparently. Where where it can be hidden. We've seen it twice. Yeah. Twice? Twice. Maybe twice. Maybe three times. Debbie, Debbie's next stop is the Rovers where she hands Tracy the paperwork for streetcars in the flat. Tracy is pretending to have a sore ankle to make Debbie do all the running back and forth between there and the bistro. And also she has no intention of rushing back to that flat, opting to stay at number one for the yard life. Kev and Sally see this and Kev still isn't buying Debbie's shite. Shona turns up at the Rovers demanding a job from Daisy, explaining to Sally that they're fucking skinned and can't afford to buy back number eight, so she needs to be earning more money. And Tracy's ears pick up at the fact that it sounds like David and Shona are broke. You know, and you know what? At first, first I was thinking, oh, good old Tracy. She's gonna, she's gonna help them out. Oh, I never thought that for a second. <laughs> We're gonna, you know, this is the this is the whole, you know, Deirdre speech coming out where she's, you know, she's gonna be the new Deirdre and be the savior of the street. No, nope, no. Oh, yeah, nothing happened about that. Yeah, not a big fat disappointment, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it turns out it, Abby, who never met Deirdre, is the Deirdre of the street. Deirdre, I'm American. Cut me some slack. I think Americans have been cut quite enough slack. And I've been surrounded by southern accents for the past month. All of them's mispronouncing <laughs> Deirdre Barlow's name, apparently. Quite it's... big in Florida. <laughs> so Tracy heads over to the bistro and makes noises to buy number eight. David can't afford it, and she's good for the money. Debbie sighs this is a complication that she could be doing without, I think. Absolutely. So Kev takes some cakes to Abby at the garage and tells her about Tracy being all keen to buy number eight. And Abby's furious. This wasn't the deal, Debbie. Mm-hmm. Kev urges calm in the consumption of cake and for Abby not to get involved in this. But Abby says that I'm already involved in this. Right. But not really going into details about. So Kev just assumes it's because she was drugged by. Ray and the whole Rebel Alliance thing. Right. Yes. David goes to pick up the paperwork from Debbie and again he stalls about getting it signed and handed back to her. Maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday, who knows. She points out that she's had another offer and she has to sell it sooner or later. David asks about renting, but Debbie worries that David is no longer a credible buyer. And later, (laughs) Tracy's peering over the fence into number eight. At the sinkhole, assumedly. Right. She looks like she's quite interested in getting a little tour of the place and and if he knows, I think. Right. And she's caught by Debbie and David. David is shocked at Tracy as the other offer. Debbie doesn't care. She needs to sell. To me, says Tracy. To her? To me, says David. All right, chuckle brother, says Debbie. David has first refusal. Let me know when he folds, says Tracy. Find that money now, Debbie tells David. And that's as far as we get on that. Mm. Uh, this week. So, do you think, because Maria can't afford to buy the salon back. Right. That she's going to go in house at the barbers with David and that's how David's going to get money. I don't think she's got the money to do that. Although Gary does. Gary's in jail. Still got money. Mm. They don't take your money off you just because you're going to jail. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not the money. The, re- the money isn't the reason why he's in jail. Not this time. No, not, not this time. Not yet. No. Yeah. That's what I think is going to happen because why else would they have start with Maria talking about how she can't buy the salon back and Audrey and um, Claudia are not interested? I don't know. It would be a, a really it's easy... It's weird that Audrey's not interested. 
and buying the salon back. That's like her whole life. She's just interested in gin. <laughs> That's all she's interested in now. Apparently. Fucking gin. <laughs> Part of me was expecting, when this whole <clears throat> Coronation Towers thing fell through, they'd just press the reset button and everything would go back to normal. And now it seems that they're doing their damnedest to not make that happen. Right, to make it. David can't afford to go back in number eight. Maria can't get the salon back. Claudia's away. Audrey's not, inter- Audrey's not interested anymore. Yeah, because they still need a salon. Tracy's not interested in going back to the flat. For Pete's sake, they're so like... So is she interested in buying the flat back? Five salons in our town. How can how can Coronation Street get along without one? <laughs> Maybe they go to the next street. <laughs> yeah. So who so that leaves Oh god, the ownership of businesses in Coronation Street is never straightforward, but that's just So they're definitely gonna buy streetcars back, but not the flat. Mm-hmm. So who's gonna buy the flat, do you think? Who is still out of a home? Seb seems quite happy with Abby and Kev and they seem quite happy with him being there. It's it's not it's not stuffing them up. Emma is quite happy at the Rovers, I think, although we don't see her this week. Yeah, Emma thinks that she and Daisy are now besties. Right. When Daisy, I'm pretty sure, hates Emma. Well, I think Daisy pretty much hates everybody. Yeah. That just leaves Alina Pop, who's most definitely stuffed into Tyrone and Fizz's house. Yeah, I thought that would have blown up at some point this week. Right. Maybe not because uh, Maureen Lippman is still on her sabbatical. Yeah, I don't think we need Maureen Lippman for uh, Alina Pop, Tyrone Dobbs, comedic misunderstanding, which is bound to happen, (laughs) let's face it. It's bound to happen. Absolutely. Hmm. I'm not sure how I'm feeling about... uh, Ray can't just disappear into the sunset. No, no. He's going to get caught. He's going to get caught. And Debbie's going to go down with him, I think. And Miles as well. I'm still shocked that they drank my. It's like, how many people do you need to know that Ray's still alive? You know, it's just, I don't know. They kind of keep to their little bubbles, don't they? Right. The, mm. the only person that Miles can be in a scene with is Ray and Debbie. Right. Because he doesn't really know anybody else. No. He turned a little bit uh, Star Wars villain, I thought, sitting yes. in his chair. Yes. Talking in his Scottish accent. Yes. Turning the tables on mm-hmm. on Ray quite the thing without right. without blinking about it. Right. That's Scottish lawyers for you. <laughs> I'll tell you. I don't see Adam doing something like that. Oh, come on. Uh, is it me or is Adam's hair getting worse? Foof. <laughs> It's a bit foofy. It's always quite foofy. Foof. Yeah, but it's like straight up and down. It's not like the pretty wavy thing that he does in real life. It's 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 like he tried to tease it or something to get it straight to lie flat, and it just didn't work. Yeah, because he still has to do his own hair. It's hair. <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> Our next storyline today is Michael's posh lunch. Oh, such a poet. Mm-hmm. On Monday, Michael is making preparations for lunch and he doesn't want a circus, so he's packed a lunch in his gladiator's lunchbox for James to take to the football training with him. James agrees to stay away, but doesn't think Aggie is going to go with this Grace moving in plan. 
Aggie catches end of this and becomes suspicious that something's going on and when she sees Michael is making his posh lamb, she thinks he's going to propose to Grace. Oh no, this again. So Grace arrives ahead of Michael and Aggie wastes no time in dropping little barbs into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Grace doesn't know why Aggie's been so nasty, so Aggie's happy to remind her about the Tiana thing and defrauding Michael. Right. Aggie refuses to sit there and pretend everything is hunky-dory while he falls in love with her again because she's turned on the poor me story. Grace has heard enough and goes to leave. Good, says Aggie. Break his heart again, you horrid cow. So Michael comes home to find no Grace. <laughs> Aggie explains that she's no intention of letting him propose, so Michael has to explain his plan was to ask if it was okay for her to move in so Aggie and Ed, Ed could see their grandkid. He's already got a key cut for her. It's a bit presumptuous. Just a little bit, right? Michael rushes off to stop Grace from leaving. So he's running down the street and shouts on Grace, who's about to go into the tram station when he's stopped by PC Racist. There's been reports of a robbery by a man like you, and despite Michael begging and shouting on Grace, they stop him to do a search. And Grace comes back and kicks up a stink, calling this racist, while PC Racist takes some details and questions Michael. And halfway through this, Gemma pretty much just wanders down the middle of all this and asks if Michael wants Adam or Imran. <laughs> Except she doesn't say Imran. She says Imram. <laughs> she definitely says Imram. <laughs> And I think she's done this before. I think she can't say Imran. She says like Imram. 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 Shall we go get Imram? Imram. Say that like that. The cops get a radio call that the suspect that they're looking for has been apprehended and they go about their day without so much as an apology. Seriously. Grace, Grace wants him to report the cops, but he's more interested in everyone going back to the house for his fucking lamb lunch. So we get, you know, a hint of a hint of uh, racism, and then it just goes away again. I was <laughs> into shocked another story because I thought this is why this whole ridiculous Grace moving in to number three storylines happening because there's no there's no way this is going to happen because everyone hates her, even Michael hates her to some point, right? He Why? hasn't forgiven her and has now no. fallen in love with her, doesn't want no. to marry her or anything no. like that. No. So he tolerates her more or less. Everyone yeah, else just hates for the her. Kid. Everyone else hates her. Which never works. So she's not going to move in there, I think. This has all been to set up this uh, racist policeman thing. Right, but then the racist Except policeman thing is over. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we go back to the house and eat some fucking succulent lamb. Right, and Grace gets a key and moves in. Right. Yeah. So what was the point of that whole policeman just, thing? Just to prove that they do know that racism is a problem, I guess. Just like that other time that there was racism. Remember that one other time that there was racism where there was a guy that was working for Ray? Yeah, but somebody conf Ed confronted it. Right. Nobody's confronted and then us. It, and then it all went away again. And Aggie says, well, we've solved racism on the coordination street. Good for us. I think maybe she was a little bit quick to to make that call because this guy, this guy's got a description of a black man. Mm -hmm. He sees a black man running. And just assumes that it's the same black man. Mm -hmm. Because, <laughs> you know, of course they're, they're not, you know, they just say black man, they don't give height or any other descriptions, skin tone. Right. Facial hair. 
So it could have been Gary Coleman or it could have been Mike Tyson <laughs> running down that street. And either way, the policeman's going to stop. Right, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Grace does seem to have a bean or bonnet about this, but right, Michael's yeah. like, no, nah, whatever. When he well, was the one who not... picked up the other guy, the Ed guy. Right, yeah. I think he just he just wants it to blow over so that we can get on to the other storyline. So back home, no one mentions the racist police stop. Instead, no. Michael makes a passionate speech that if Grace has to move away to Hull, then Michael will have to move away to, to Hull. Hull too. And this softens Aggie up and she agrees to the new arrangement. Great. Now let's eat the succulent lamb. Right. And not talk about the fact that you were just racially profiled by a policeman. Right. <sighs> After the lamb, Michael has a present for Grace. It's a key fob with a picture of the baby scan. Aww. This little thing is ours, says Grace, but it's unclear whether she's talking about the baby or the key fob. <laughs> <laughs> and that is this week's joke of the week. On Wednesday, Michael is cleaning house. I think house. maybe you should just stop pointing out the joke of the week. But if I don't, then people probably won't notice it. Yeah. On Wednesday, Michael is cleaning house ahead of Grace moving in. Michael seems a little frustrated that he's the only one in the house who wants this and demands that James has his back on it. Otherwise, Grace will do a runner to Hull and he'll never see his kid because his kid will be in Hull. Later, Grace is moving in with one roly-on suitcase. She and Aggie immediately start exchanging barbs over making tea and the quality of Aggie's tea and Aggie basically tells her to fuck off. Michael is sick to death of this and once again insists that everyone makes more of an effort to get on and make this work. No one agrees to it. No. But Michael comes home and is shocked to find the two of them getting on. They're still winding each other up, but it seems a bit more good-natured than it was before. Mm -hmm. Number three is now an oasis of calm. Ah. Michael goes off to run Grace a bath, and then the facades (laughs) drop. They still fucking hate each other, and pretending otherwise is a drain, so they just agree to stay out of everyone. And then Michael calls himself Kofi Annan. Yes. (laughs) He's the Kofi Annan of Coronation Street. That's as far as we get without this week. (coughs) I don't know where to begin with this. Do you... I mean, obviously something's going to happen and Grace is going to move out again. Something's going to happen with this policeman. Uh, he's going to racially profile another member of the family and then Michael's going to be like, oh yeah, he racially profiled me the other week and I just didn't think of anything of it because I was so busy with the whole Grace thing. And my lamb. My lamb is on. I was right. worried about my lamb. I was worried about the lamb. Ramalama ding dong. Because he can cook. He can cook. Aggie can't. No. She's a woman. Hmm. And she's an angry black lady. Yeah. Who are famously unable to cook. This whole thing is just, I don't like it. I'm trying to think of anything that I liked. I quite liked my joke of the week. um, We did say we wanted more of the Baileys. I guess we should have been more specific. I think think we were. I think we wanted good storylines for the Baileys. not happened so far no <laughs> but this whole police thing looked like it could be interesting right especially if it got lifted yeah i expected the policeman to be a bit more aggressive in 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 his questioning wrestle michael at the ground and arrest him for resisting arrest kind of thing even though all he did was ask what this was about right sort of thing yeah Something a little bit more, yeah, aggressive and... 
I mean, nasty. I don't expect them to. Hell's about to say something potentially controversial. <laughs> I don't expect them to go full on realism, as in as in the many horrid, horrid examples that we have seen of police brutality in America over the past over the past year. But no, I, th- I think I know what you didn't say. I could have not said an awful lot of things. Yeah, I think I know the one that you you were going to say though. But I wasn't going to say any of them because I didn't want any of them to happen to poor Michael or to anyone real or imagined for that matter. But it's just, if we're going to make this a story ripped from the headlines, then maybe, maybe we need to make it a bit more realistic. Mm -hmm. Then again, I really don't know what police brutality in the UK is like. I know it exists because, you know, there were Black Lives Matter protests in that London as well and in Glasgow so and in other parts of the UK that I guess are important mm-hmm. besides those two places <laughs> I don't I don't think there's any prizes for for having the, the most police brutality I don't, I don't think it's on a par with the things that we saw here in America on, on our news no but it does exist and I think racism within the police Famously does exist. Yes. But so maybe if, if we're going to make that a storyline, maybe we need to put some more teeth into it. Right. And not have it happen basically and, and then be done. Before the commercial break on a Wednesday and then never mentioned again. Right. Because even Grace kinda tried once and then gave up. Right. And but even I was Grace like, okay, doesn't, this is interesting. Uh, this is giving Grace something uh, right. to be and other even than a Grace, baby factory. And even Grace doesn't mention it to Aggie. You know. When they come back in, neither one of them mentions it to Aggie. That would have been more interesting, I think, if one of them, even if it wasn't Michael, in fact, probably preferably if it wasn't Michael, in terms of creating a story out of it. Right. If, if Grace was, she couldn't eat her dinner, mm-hmm. Aggie gets all upset because she's not eating her dinner. Because... Of course she would. Mm-hmm. Because it's really affected her. Right. But it, it's, it's almost like it didn't happen. Let's move on to... Uh. Oh, Christ. Uh, Gail's photo. Gail's funny photo. Oh, well, wait to blow it. Wait to blow it before I've even begun. <coughs> That's what she said. Yeah, that's definitely not what he said. <laughs> On Monday, Gail's in the factory. It seems that she's been using it as a free storage facility for her moving boxes. Michael, who's been in the street for a year and a half now, only knows Gail as Nick and Sarah's mum, which is probably fair, but you'll no doubt have her number in his phone before the day's out. She asks him to pass her a box, and a photo falls out of it. It's no one Gail recognises. Fanny's her name. Gail's never heard of Fanny's in the family before. Never mind, Gail. We all have. And she goes off to ask Audrey where Fanny fitted in. Sally overhears this and makes a face. Timbot4000 says you have got to be shitting me. <laughs> no? Timbot, you have a you have a problem with us? Timbot4000 says our A. Lafferty was right and the lowest common denominator is both low and common and Gail's Fanny fits right into that. No? Well. Well, somebody didn't a, find that funny. A studious critique of, of British comedy there. Because that, that, the fanny joke just doesn't work in America in the same way. No. Because over here, 
You're funny as your ass. Yeah. <laughs> and in the UK, you're funny as your ass. It's a floof. Later. Well, is it the floof or is it the, the actual the actual genitalia? I think it's a catch-all term for uh, for the the female bits. Right. Because hmm. if you were to get a... If somebody was to boot you in the fanny... Right. They're just kind of kicking your genitals. Right. Just rather than a, a specific part of it. Ah. <laughs> I think it's what Merriam-Webster says. <laughs> Later, Sam is at the factory, now in charge of Underworld's legal and compliance department. <laughs> is is that i could totally see that happening and it working <laughs> gail explains her hunt for fanny and to determine if maybe their family is from noble stock nick scoffs reckoning that the whole family were laborers who never moved further than the Wirral. <sighs> later still gail is now dressed like fred flintstone and she checks out her family tree on her laptop getting an email uh, about her family tree from someone called top hat Nick is bored with talk of Gail's fanny and tells her to do this at home on her own time. Right, not when she's supposed to be cleaning. It was just funny to me because that's one of the things I've been doing over the past month is going through old pictures with, with my cousin and saying, mm-hmm. who's that supposed to be? Do you recognize this person? And also finding pictures of like my great-grandmother when she was a little girl with her family and 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 coming to the realization that we were indeed not from Noble Star. <laughs> that photo that you sent uh, of everyone looking really miserable. <laughs> well, they were poor and living in the panhandle. You're getting your photo taken. You're supposed to smile. Not back then. No, I guess it was a little bit more of a serious affair. Right, in 1901. Because you weren't taking photographs every four minutes. Right. This was the one photograph you were taking that year. Yeah. And it's probably costing you a bit of money. Right. You better look as, as studious and proper right. as, as possible, not with not doing bunny rabbit ears behind <laughs> someone's head. Or, not that not that many of those people looked no. proper, but they looked like uh, prospectors, <laughs> I thought. Something like that. Only only not because there are no prospect what are you prospecting in Florida? You dig in the ground in Florida and you hit salt water. Yeah, maybe that's why they were looking so pure. <laughs> they mistook Florida for California. No, it wasn't the uh the other side of the family that were coal miners and yet looked much more dapper. On Wednesday, Gail Flintstone is tidying up at the factory during operating hours and moving shit on Nick's desk that he doesn't want moved on an attempt to get him to talk about her fanny. She's left a message with her dad who hasn't got back to her, which is strange. Which is a strange wee detail. And she posted the photo on a genealogy website and has discovered, thanks to this top heart person, that the photo is of Fanny Winifred Page, her great-great-grandmother. Seems it's Top Hat's great-great-grandmother too. And they've arranged to meet up later in the Rovers, which Nick is absolutely appalled at. Right, yeah. You're, you're going to meet strangers in the pub, Mum. Later. Audrey's coming out of Roy's Rolls and bumps into The Undertaker, who she hasn't seen since WrestleMania 24. <laughs> Mary is cleaning up at the florist and makes a snide comment. The Undertaker invites Audrey to join him for a drink before his next appointment. She agrees and then clotheslines him. 
<laughs> then the lights drop, and over the PA we hear, If you smell... It's Rock the Dwayne Johnson, and he sprints to the ring, immediately rocks bottoms Audrey, and then delivers an electrifying people's elbow on the Undertaker before mounting silently, slightly off camera, to someone in the crowd. Did it Dwayne the Rock Johnson, not the Rock Dwayne Johnson? Yeah, I know. It's funnier if you say it wrong. Is it? Yeah. Okay. The Rock Dwayne... Dwayne... No, Rock the Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, that's funny. Okay. Sure. Gail meets Audrey and Undertaker in the pub. It seems that Gail and Audrey are now friends again, which was never really addressed, but never mind. Hmm. Gail explains about her fanny and meeting up with a psycho that she met online, and the Undertaker reveals that he's top hat. He's the psycho. Gail and the Undertaker are both tickled pink, and Audrey doesn't understand what the fuck is going on here. (laughs) So Gail explains that the two of them share a great-great-grandmother, which makes them third cousins or whatever. Audrey is bored so she leaves and she's wise to do so because Gail is soon talking about getting regression hypnotherapy and claims to have been Nefertiti in her previous life Eileen and Mary come in at the pub and neither are impressed that the undertaker was given Audrey the chat earlier and has now, and has now worked his way onto the younger model the undertaker announces that he has <sighs> to drain his spuds and Gail makes that face Mary warns Gail to play carefully with the undertaker he's a woman's man apparently yeah, gorgeous George so back from urinating, the Undertaker is intimidated by Mary's death glare. <laughs> I'm going to Mary gang up on Gail a bit, remarking that she could have sent uh, a lot of business the Undertaker's way with all the husbands that she's buried. Mary looks a bit like Paddington. Over the with a hard stare. stare. Yeah. <laughs> Gail doesn't think Eileen has much room to talk. And so it continues with the accusations of jealousy until Gail and the Undertaker leave. The Undertaker delivering a pair of tombstones for good measure. And that's as far as we get with that this week. <laughs> Ugh. What a ridiculous story. <laughs> we have, I don't know, 20 minutes to fill this week. Right. Let's just have Gail say Fanny as often as possible. <laughs> and it, and let's, it let's, and let's And let's add as many winks to the audience that we know that we're being a bit naughty by having Gail say Fanny so many times. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that got me. If they just let her do it without Sally pulling a face. Or Nick pulling a face. Right. Or, or or Michael, you know, saying whatever it was he said when she first said Fanny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he started to giggle. And right, you, yeah. And she said, oh, oh you're don't as bad you as David. Yeah. He laughs at my Fanny too. <laughs> if they just played it straight, it would have been much funnier. But the fact that they're obviously winking to the audience the whole way through. That just, that ruins it. I think Tim Because Bott, if you point out your joke, it makes it less funny. Just a reminder that the joke of the week this week was. <laughs> no, I think Timbot makes a, a good point. Mm. It was kind of lowest common denominator stuff. Right. I admit to laughing, but I was kind of laughing at, oh my God, they're not really going to do this, are they? Yeah, but you also draw pictures of penises on things. Yeah, I'm um, so. childish. <laughs> this was This, this was, was right, right up, up street. your street, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> it's, it's for people like me that, that this was all there. Right. Who and I tried to fannies. act all adult and above it. Mm-hmm. And it's all no high school jokes. But right. no, it made me laugh. Yeah. It made me laugh because... I'm surprised to get away with it. It's like seven thirty. Oh, 
Oh, I suppose. Again, the there's a bird outside and it's January. Oh, did you see the, all those geese? That oh, yeah. Well, the geese, I can understand. But this is a Tweety them. bird. Uh, are you remotely interested in this uh, synergy of the Undertaker and Gale in the storyline about Fanny? No. Is, is, this a, is this a romance? No. No. Is it? No, they're cousins. Ew. Third I cousins. mean, they're third cousins, but still. Is it third cousins? I was trying to work out when I got bored. If you share a great-great-grandmother. <sighs> if you share a grandmother, you're cousins. Right. If you share a great-grandmother, you're second cousins. cousins. So great-great-grandmother would, would be, be third, third cousins, cousins, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I would... Well, I guess if you grew up together aware that you were family, it would be icky. But because they're, they they didn't know until now... Let's get Mike Pence on the phone. He can he can sort this out, can't it's, he? It's a little less icky, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you find the fact that... Um, oh, no, it's not Mike Pence. It's really Giuliani that married his cousin, isn't it? Who did Mike Pence marry? No, Mike Pence's mother is his cousin. Yeah. I believe. I believe mother is no, his cousin. No, the weird thing is that he calls his wife mother. Right. The weird thing about Giuliani is that he married... Uh, married his cousin. I think that's what this. Uh, well, <laughs> one anyway. of the many weird things about Giuliani. <laughs> but I mean, come on. He sweats brown. As well. <laughs> uh, but you, um, you find the end of Clueless icky. So and they weren't yeah. even they weren't even blood relations at all. Yeah, it was still icky. I'm still ugh, really. Oof. I mean, don't get me wrong. Individually, lovely people. Just, yeah. You were, you were step siblings for a while. Yeah, Oof. for like half a year. <laughs> that should that should be enough. Ugh. Still, how can you, how can you, um, how can you turn down? What's his name? Paul Rudd. Yes. Who who. Because I'm not homosexual. Because, <laughs> and neither is he. You guys both have but a. You're not asking how could Paul Rudd turn down me. You're asking how <laughs> I could turn down him. You both have a thing for oxters, though. Yeah, I do like an oxter. Mm. Moving on. <laughs> Briefly, I have a little bit of poverty porn on Monday. Gemma's in Rogers Rolls complaining to Bernie about the deal with the overdue rent and an unsympathetic landlord. Chesney spoke to the guy apparently, but Gemma's not sure when they can clear their arrears. Bernie would love to help, but can't. Even though she's living there. And then at Speed Dial, Sean promises Dylan over the phone that he's going to do everything he can to secure a permanent place for him to come visit whenever he wants. And that's all that happened in that this week. Hmm. The less about that, the better. Yes. That was two scenes too many. Right. But at least yeah. that's it. No, this this week our poverty porn was David. Which doesn't even make any sense because he owns his own business. And you'd think could... I don't know why he's because obviously he doesn't have to have the money to buy his house. He needs a mortgage, right? He should be able to get a mortgage. You're a thunk. Yeah, put the barbers up for collateral. Although Audrey owns that, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess he couldn't do that. But he's got to own. <laughs> and probably the bank is going to have a problem with giving him a mortgage, given the fact that he has. A sinkhole in his yard. Right, but he's trying to buy the house with the sinkhole. Yeah, but 
But they, what mortgage the bank was, still owns it. Wait, what mortgage was he trying to pay off? Because his mortgage. But didn't he sell the house? He sold the house to Ray and Debbie, and then used the money to pay off his mortgage. That's how. That's how that works. Right. Yeah, but surely he didn't have that much left on the mortgage to pay. Yeah. Because didn't he get like a really good deal off of Debbie and Ray? Didn't they like pay him more than? The house was worth... No, I don't think so because of the sinkhole. Oh, yeah, that's true. So they're going to send an assessor around to look at the house and see how much it's worth and see a big fucking hole in the back and think, hmm, maybe mm. this isn't worth all that much. No. So we're not going to give you a mortgage at all. Right. Well, wouldn't that then, say, pressure Debbie to put the price down? I think she's going to have a, a trouble selling it to anyone. Because there's a sinkhole in the yard. Tracy wants it. She's going to have problems raising the money for it. Mm. Although she has, well... She has money. I don't know if she has money. She does have a business. To buy a house in cash. Because they didn't have enough money for Oliver's fund. Remember, they had to try and raise that. Right, yeah. And then all the money went to Oliver's fund that they raised by selling. Nobody's buying a house with a sinkhole in it. No bank is going to give you a mortgage for a house with a sinkhole in it. Who knows? Fix a sinkhole, then we can talk. Right. Our next storyline today is Todd the Prick. On Wednesday at the factory, it's Kirk's birthday tomorrow. He's having a do, but because of the virus, it's names in a hat time and Paul wasn't picked. Oh, well. He's thrilled about this and besides, he and Billy are going to speed dial tonight anyway. Todd's name was picked, but Todd makes out that he and uh, Ajay have also been invited to speed dial with Paul and Billy, which is news to Paul. Maybe next year, says Paul. At speed dial, Billy has been looking forward to this meal that they have every other day or so. Uh, Paul tells him to switch his phone off. This is Paul time. But Billy says he'll need to check it occasionally in case there's been a major religious emergency while they've been having dinner. (laughs) (sighs) Then Billy is surprised to see... You know, maybe one of his parishioners has, you know, an emergency. They're all old. Then again, he's like the archdeacon now, so doesn't he have other people to take care of that yeah, sort of thing? Yeah, he's above. He's like that. He's above it. Then Billy's surprised to see Adji arrive looking for Todd, and Paul's confused, thinking that he didn't actually invite them to date night, even though he kind of did. And later, the four of them were all chatting about Paul's upcoming court appearance and how Adji is trying to downsize his house and get shot off a piano his parents gifted him when he was 10. This is scintillating stuff. And when Paul's away, Todd thinks that Billy should get the piano, but Billy says... He don't want no piano. He's got no room. On Friday at the factory, Todd is talking Paul into buying Billy Adji's piano. Need to hop to it. It'll be gone soon. And Summer's going to love this too because she likes a wee bit piano. So Paul has bought the piano and is wondering how to get it from the street to the flat. And Billy sees it and is pissed. But Summer comes around the corner to see it and is tickled fucking pink. Play She's something ready to then. tickle play the some- ivories. Play something, Billy. Go on. Play something. Play, play something, something, Billy. Play something. So Billy does. Todd doesn't know he could play the piano. A cheeky wee tickle on the organ when no one's looking at church, he reckons. And Todd surprised Paul went for the piano after Billy put his foot down. But Todd's plan once more falls flat on its fucking face when Billy and Paul have a lovely sing-song about a cucumber on the street. Because <laughs> they're loving it. Yeah. Yeah, it, doesn't, like, take, it uh, doesn't take long for Billy to, to come round to it. Especially since Summer loves it so much. Yep. So somehow the piano has been humped up to the flat and Billy is playing and singing when the saints go marching in. Oh dear. And then Paul gets a call from Will, but 
Paul dinghies it. But Paul calls back, and this time Paul answered it. No, Will, Will, Will calls back. Will Paul doesn't call himself. And this time Paul does answer it. Will it demands that Paul sees him. Paul isn't interested. He tells Will not to call again. Will says, Paul will be sorry. Don't you threaten me. But Paul hangs up. Todd, who's with Will in their favourite alleyway, doesn't think Will made enough of an effort and needs him to do one more thing. Aye, aye. What's that one wee thing that you want me to do in this dark alleyway? Yikes. Ew. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Uh, We're uh, still doing why this. Why are we still this doing still this? Why are we still doing this? Why is this still a thing? <coughs> Every time Todd tries one of these things, it just blows up in his face. Stick dastardly and Will <laughs> is his muttly. <laughs> that was a reasonably pure muttly impression. No, yeah, muttly's more. Hmm. You're getting out of tire, is it? Yes. Where's Michael Winslow when we need him? <laughs> Ugh. Can we just stop with this? Please, Todd can we thing? please stop? Please stop. Please make it go away. Please, please. Because what is his? What is his end goal? Is his end goal really to get Billy back? Is Billy really that special? Because he seems to be quite happy with this AJ character, right? Is yeah, he not perfectly, per- perfectly decent. Does he just want to ruin Billy's life or Paul's life? I think he wants to ruin Paul's life. What? What is? It's not Paul's fault. That Billy and Paul are together. I mean, it is, but it's nobody did it to hurt Todd's feelings. No, no, no. He's just such an egomaniac, that Todd. He's a prick. Yeah. Ugh, he's the worst. The worst. But this whole um, try to get Paul and Billy to break up, which we predicted. Mm-hmm. Or I think at least I predicted mm. it was going to be a thing from when he first showed back up again. That was months ago. Right? Why is this still a thing? It doesn't need to be a thing, since evidently he's never going to succeed. And even if he did succeed, he wouldn't be getting Billy back. This is eating an invaluable time where Gail <laughs> could be saying Fanny. <laughs> well, you know they do make some jokes about organs and cucumbers. Because so you know, because do, these Gail? are these are gay men, so they don't care about fannies. What we're going to do, Gail, is we're going to uh, carry this photograph of Fanny to a sink for some reason, and you're going to accidentally drop it in and is a in a full sink, and then when you you pull it back out again, you're going to say, "Oh God, my fanny's dripping." Are you okay with that, Helen? Are you okay? Just you are okay. Let's let's film it. With no need to rehearse, just let's film it. It's in the can. It's done. I want a writing credit if that happens. I think she's done carrying around the Fanny picture now that she knows who Fanny was. Oh, wait, just pissing my chips then. <laughs> Our next storyline today, presumably, we're done talking about. Fannies and cucumbers, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Asha On Friday Dev and the kids are in Roy's roles Dev is wondering what he can do to help Asha focus on her catch up work Addy thinks she's still focusing on ITV Corey But she insists not Ex-boyfriend she says Then Nina reads out their bill in an amusing manner One sourdough sandwich with a side order A kick that prick to the curb £8.70 when you're ready 
In later Davis back at Roy's Rolls looking for a chat with Nina about Asha. He explains the problems Asha's having trouble concentrating at school and at home, and she's crying a lot. Nina suggests that she studies at Roy's Rolls when there are people around that might uh, force her to encourage her to work when she realises that she's in public sort of thing, which kind of made sense at the time, less so now. Dev thinks this is a capital idea and asks Nina to suggest it because Nina's the only one who can make Asha smile these days. And later, Nina and Asha are chatting and Seb's getting Asha about waiting to pay when all he had to do was lay his money on the counter, especially as later he tells them to keep the change. He's subdued when Asha follows Nina's lead about her working there and Seb seems to check Nina's arse on the way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Later still, Nina makes a passionate plea to Roy, singing Asha's praises and asking if she can get a trial run working there after school. Roy accepts, I think, and Asha is made up after hearing Nina say all those lovely things about her. Mm-hmm. Back at the shop, Devis put out that Asha didn't ask for shifts from him, but Addy can totally understand the boon of not working for your fucking dad. <laughs> and that's as far as we get with that this week. Right, yeah, and, you know, I... It's less smelly at Roy's Rolls than at the kebab shop. It's better to smell of, of coffee and oh, I baked think, goods than greasy kebabs. I think Andy's working kebab. at the kebab and Asha will be working in the corner shop. No, because Addy is, is there working with his dad in the corner shop. I think Addy is doing both. He's, he's, he's management potential, remember. Asha has worked at the kebab shop. She, yes, has, she has. She has a, a uniform and everything. Yes, she has. That's what I'm saying. She's not very good at it though. No. And you'd rather smell of coffee and baked goods than kebabs. Yeah. So it looks like uh, Asha's got a wee thing going for Nina. A little crush, perhaps. I do not want this to be a thing. I think it's going to be a thing. I know. And I don't want it to happen because it's... I don't know. It just... It has been Do we set up... In the summer. Right, yeah, but it was all good and, you know, female empowerment and um, and female friendship and stuff. But when it, when it becomes more about getting into one another's pants, it, I don't know, it just, to me, it kind of just sullies, you know, Nina's motives from the very beginning, you know, and I don't want that to happen. Oh, I don't think it's, I don't think Nina knows I don't think Nina feels this way at the moment. Do you? Nina is doing exactly what Nina has been doing all the way through. She's telling Asha that she's gorgeous, that she's a clever woman, blah de blah de blah. Right. Meanwhile, Asha's the one that's kind of by Nina and throwing the little glances and all that sort of stuff. But Nina, I don't think, realises that she's doing anything. Hmm. I don't know. One thing I don't want to happen is fucking Seb to get in there. <laughs> who was definitely checking out her arse on the way out. Yes, he was. You know, I think I would prefer Seb and Nina to Daniel and Nina, which has also been bandied about. Because Daniel and Nina? No. Because they're, they're both into Victorian novels. Yeah, I suppose. And they're both intellectuals. Oh, going back to the racist cop thing. <laughs> I thought I also thought they'd been more interesting if it was Craig. The one time it's a, it's not Craig that's the cop. 
right, because Craig's not racist. Maybe he is. No, he's just he's just got something against other gingers. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I don't think. I don't know. I, I, it just, I mean, written down on paper. I don't think I'm all that keen on it. No, but but in fairness, it's, it's been a while since we've had any lesbians on the street. We've been killing them off and sending them off to Greece. From <laughs> so, I suppose we do need some. We need. We do need some lesbians. Yes, and which does beg me to say that that uh, Asha, like Rana, she's got a little crush. Yeah, but she also also likes boys. So Nina, on the other hand, doesn't. Nina seems really. She's kind of asexual at the moment. Yeah, yeah, which is which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not played for laughs the way poor Mary's is. Right. You know, poor Mary is asexual by choice, whereas Nina, it just seems like she's just comfortable in her own skin and she doesn't need anybody else. Yeah, she's quite happy just doing what she's doing. But, you know, she did have that one conversation with Maria about getting married. Remember? She said she'd wear all black and stuff. Yeah. And who knows? Our final storyline uh, today. Boo! Oh, you really took against us, there are bits of this stuff. Hate it. <laughs> I quite enjoyed this. Throw it all in the trash. No. It's all the worst. The only thing that pisses me off more than than this storyline is the fact that still nobody wants to admit that Faye was actually raped by Ray Weinstein. Right. Yeah, that's not even close to being mentioned this week. Yeah. Well, is no, it- somebody says something about her almost being raped. Oh, that was, yeah. Yeah, that was Miles, you know, saying, well, mm. you know. Uh, Let's talk about Peter's liver. On Monday, Steve, With a nice side of Chianti. And some fava beans. Oh. Something wrong with his liver. On Monday, <laughs> Steve calls Tracy. It's well marinated. He's extending his walking trip because the Peter storyline hasn't finished yet. <laughs> Ken barely cares. Peter came home last night and has gone out again, probably drunk already. Ken says he needs to do something about it. So he goes into the Rovers. He has a favour to ask Jenny. He's circulating a picture of Peter from five years ago with a caption, Please do not serve this man alcohol. Jenny thinks that'll take ages. And so she takes a photo of Ken's photo and promises to circulate it for him through their WhatsApp group. I don't know what WhatsApp is. I thought you were on WhatsApp. No. Oh, no, it's Snapchat. That's only for work. Snapchat one. I thought you were on WhatsApp for work. No. Oh. Probably should be. Hmm. That would make more sense. Yeah. An exhausted Ken gets home just as Peter comes home. Peter doesn't want to talk. He wants a shower. So he heads upstairs. Right. Just want a shower. Right. Adam meets an even more exhausted Ken in the community garden. So we got one shower and one bath this week. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. And I noticed both of them. <laughs> and, I've, and I've updated the league table. Grace is winning at the moment with three points. Oh. Peter in second place with one point. Three points for a bath. One point for a shower. An exhausted Ken. Nobody's taken a bath or a shower all year. All year yet. No. No wait. No. Somebody mentioned that they were going to, but they were stopped from doing so. I thought Peter had a shower before. No. No, no. Johnny was going to have a shower when he got back from the prison, but that was in December, wasn't it? Right. Okay. Somebody did mention that they were going to have a shower, but they were stopped from doing it. 
So the, the rule that I've invented is if they mention that they're going to do it, unless we see them not doing it, we have to accept that they're doing it. So Michael runs Grace a bath. We don't see or hear Grace saying that she didn't have that bath, so we have to assume that she had that bath. Correct. That's the rule. Hmm. That's well documented. Sure. <laughs> so... Where did we get to? Uh, yeah, so Adam meets an even more exhausted Ken in the community garden. Ken's run himself ragged for all the good it'll do. He's closely given up, even thinking about Peter's funeral now. Adam doesn't think there's much Ken can do if Peter doesn't want to give up, but Ken says you never give up on your kids, no matter how old they are, which is in stark contrast to how he dealt with baby Daniel in Classic Cory the other week. <sighs> where he had to look after Daniel for two days. Daniel nearly electrocuted himself because he was playing with a power outlet. <laughs> Ken picks up the phone uh, and immediately asks Denise to come and pick Daniel back up again. So, right. less of the you don't give up on your kids bullshit, Ken. Right, yeah. Thank you very much. Later, Adam has... Skylander. Oh, jinx. You owe me a Coke. Later, Adam has spoken to Daniel and he has a plan for them all to take turns to monitor Peter. Follow him <laughs> and make sure he's safe. How a, lawyer, a <laughs> how a lawyer intends to do this is anyone's guess. And Tracy seems to be of the same opinion, calling it a ridiculous idea. Because it is. But when Peter leaves the house, Adam follows. Peter is unimpressed, telling Adam that he could be in for a long night. So Peter comes home steaming and staggers up the stairs. Adam comes in a few seconds later and does not get any thanks from Peter for being a shadow all night. Right. What was Adam supposed to do? Because he's still not drunk. This is just to make sure that he gets home? Oh, he was drunk. He fell when he was drunk right. downstairs. Right, yeah. Oh, he's still drunk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. Adam's supposed to follow him, but not stop him from drinking? Right. No, just to make sure that he gets home okay. This is the most codependent, enablist family I've, I've ever seen. No wonder, no wonder Peter is such a raging alcoholic. Y'all fucked up. Yeah, seriously. The right thing to do is what Ken did when he threw him out. Yeah, that resolve lasted all of 12 hours, didn't uh, it? Peter's trying to write a letter. It's so not going dumb. well. Later, he's in Roy's rolls, having as much bother trying to drink a glass of water. Roy comes... He com drinks it like Donald Trump with two he hands. He did, with his little hands. He's his little hands. Roy calls Carla down. Peter is tired from feeling angry and so wants to forgive her. She thanks him. Sadly, though, this is not Anente's drinking, but it's not down to her. It's always been him, and he says this with a tear. She needs to go. She has a meeting, and when she goes, we see how bad a state he's in as he kind of collapses in his chair a little bit. Later, Roy catches Carla on her way out. He was reminded of a conversation he had with Haley the day before she died. Roy had always liked the knives in the knife block to be in size order, because he's not a psycho. <laughs> of course they go in the right order. And she never cared, and it was uh, always a source of irritation for her that he did. And the day before she died, she apologised for making a big deal out of it. Later, Roy could understand that she wanted to make sure that he had nothing to feel guilty about after she'd gone. And Carla is disgusted by the story and rushes away. <laughs> There's no answer at the front door of number one, so she bursts in through the back. But not like that. Peter's sitting there with some vodka, trying to write his wee letter still. Carla's frantic, saying that she worked it out. No, you didn't. Roy worked out that Peter was getting his affairs in order and she expected him to be dead. She's bawling and he says that he's not going anywhere just yet and uh, goes to put the kettle on, leaving her to see his wee book and what he's been writing. 
If you're not yeah. going anywhere, hey, she says, Carla, how maybe... come you're writing science, Simon a suicide note? Hmm? Hey, hey, Carla, maybe, maybe keep your nose out of somebody else's business. Nobody thought, said you could look at the book. I will concede that that was a little bit contrived. She's all upset. Uh, she sits down. She sees a, a journal. Right. And her first instinct is to pick it up and start reading it. Right. And never once says some, anything about the vodka sitting there. Which, why is there vodka in the house, Ken? If that is your real name. Peter would prefer to call uh, this a farewell letter. Even if that's the case, she says he could do something about it and stop drinking. Peter thinks it's too late. Plus, he can't fight it anymore. And she reminds him that he was happier sober than he ever was drunk, which was probably true. She tears out the letter and leaves, refusing to give up. But then she comes back with Simon and hands over the crumpled letter to Peter. Read this to your son, she says. He refused these because it was only a draft and he was working on it. Right. So so Carla reads it. It tells Simon that you'll How did she convince Simon to come with her in the first place? Because doesn't Simon still hate her? Did he forgive her? I think maybe he did forgive yeah, her. Yeah, it kind of goes easier on again. It basically tells Simon that uh, he loves him and apologises for letting the booze win and not being strong enough. Simon spots the vodka bottle and sees what Peter's doing. If you love me, you wouldn't be doing this, says Simon, and he runs away. I will never forgive you for that, says Peter to Carla. And Carla says, Peter... It, fair enough. Fair enough, because it was a stupid fucking thing she did. Was it? Yes. It was awful. It was awful. You don't... It was... I understand she's trying to get Peter to face up to what he's doing. I get that. But to drag poor Simon into it... Oh, he's made of tough stuff. (laughs) He is not. (laughs) And he's still got his sick mum to deal with. Oh, Christ. Poor Simon. (laughs) It, he's going to end up addicted to something pretty soon. The way he's going. He's going to kill. He inherited that from his auntie Tracy. She will kill again. Yes. Carla says, Peter needed to know what... Uh... That's why she wants that sinkhole. <laughs> She's going to be disposing of bodies left and right down there. Don't you worry, I'll fill that fucker up. <laughs> Carla says, Peter needed to know that a letter wouldn't help. Show him you love him. Uh, stop drinking. She asks if he's going to write everyone he loves a farewell letter, get shit off his chest and leave everyone with his guilt and yeah, regret. That's absolutely the way to cure alcoholism. Well done, Carla. Well done. Just telling an alcoholic to stop drinking. Oh, why didn't I think of that, says the alcoholic. Well, he does say that a little bit, doesn't he? It's just... This is not their first rodeo with this. No. This is not... It's. And last week, everybody was like, yeah, no, this is the right thing to do. We can't force him to do anything he doesn't want to do. You know, it just makes things worse. So we're not going to do that. And then what do they do the next week? They do all the things they said last week they knew was going to make him worse. He wanted to explain to Simon on his own terms, but he says that she's taken that away from him. I'm not sure how. The only difference is Simon got to hear the letter when Peter was still alive. She calls him a coward and he grabs his jacket and leaves. Meanwhile, Ken finds Simon in the community garden. He's pissed that no one told him about how bad Peter was. Carla comes along and apologises, but Simon seems grateful that at least someone was thinking about him. Ken, though, thinks Carla reading out the letter was unbelievably cruel. Which it was. Really? It was. I'm surprised that you think this. It was unbelievably cruel to Simon. It was not done 
for Simon's benefit. She didn't do it for Simon. But he was the She's layer. used Simon. If, and as, as Peter points out, it was a draft. He was still writing it. He, he didn't was see still, that was a draft. Was no, but draft. he's been scribbling this letter and crossing things out and everything. He wasn't prepared to give that to Simon yet. He's writing a letter for Simon, though, to be read after his death. Right, which is f- fine. Okay? Because we know... Well, we don't know that Peter's not going to die. But still, the way it was done was so very cruel. It was just... You don't do that to a kid. Ugh. It's fine to do it to Peter, I guess, because he's an asshole. <laughs> but poor Simon, you know, she she didn't do it for Simon's benefit. She did it to try to shock Peter out of his alcoholism, which never works. She did. And she says that. She thought that the shock would work. Right. So she didn't even take into consideration the damage she could be possibly be doing to Simon by doing this. So it was unbelievably cruel to Simon. Ken is correct. And I will never say that again. Ken, who seems to be on a sponsored blame Carla trip, scolds her for not going after him. He'll be in a bar somewhere. We have to find him. And back at number one, <sighs> Simon see, is not a happy chap. Ken is wrong about that. Carla tries to remind him that alcoholism is disease and this isn't Peter's fault, but Simon isn't really for having it, drawing comparisons between Peter and Oliver and how mm. Leanne fought all the way for her son and Peter can't be bothered fighting for himself. Looking through a rain-soaked window, Simon declares himself out. If Peter wants to kill himself, then so be it. And, you know, it's not really that fair of a comparison because... Oliver wasn't fighting for himself. It was Leanne fighting for Oliver. You know, because Oliver couldn't fight for himself. And Peter really can't fight for himself. He can make decisions, though. And he hasn't been making those decisions. I think the similarity is in people not giving up and then people giving up. Right. Ken tracks Peter down to Ray Weinstein's hotel bar. Peter sinks in that way that people would do if Ken turns up to talk to you. (laughs) Ken snatches Peter's drink and announces that he wants to have a family meeting now that Simon knows the whole story. Peter is less keen and he remarks that the only thing that he inherited from Ken was good hair and a streak of selfishness. Mm. All this talk of Simon and what he's been through with Oliver is boring Peter. All he wants is his drink back, but Ken pours it into the wee metal drainer thing that's on mm-hmm. the bar. And furious, Peter fucking lamps his dad, <laughs> he does. knocking him down. I was genuinely shocked by that. <laughs> genuinely shocked. I was like, Fucking hell, really? (laughs) Oofed. Ken, hated by both of his sons. (laughs) And And, and at least he didn't push him down the stairs. Right, which nobody (laughs) mentions. That punch was meant for Carla. He wanted, I think, to, to hit her for doing what she did. Right. But didn't. Ken kind of deserved it too though <laughs> that was my drink <laughs> so remarkably neither of them are thrown out of the bar no Peter is full of remorse though his mother would be ashamed of him a woman gasps though when it happens <laughs> a woman gasps off Faints. off, off, so have to get off this. sides there's a woman who gasps the barman gets his uh, smelling vapours out <laughs> to try and all right, all right. bring her back round but you know even the even the wee bit of jam coming out of Ken's nose is cleaned up rather quickly. Yeah, it's like never harmed. It's shocking that an eighty year old man, eighty one year old man, rebounds from getting punched in the face mm-hmm. that well. So 
Peter's full of remorse. His, his nose should be broken. Would be ashamed of him for what he did. And he wants to stop drinking now. He doesn't want to die, but it's so painful. And he cries as Ken tells him that he's loved. Ken and Peter get back to the street. Carla's waiting, but Peter doesn't want to see her. Ken says that she can't be surprised. My Valerie died 50 years ago today in a freak hairdryer incident. And he could have ended up mourning his son in this day too, thanks to her. But he's ready to stop drinking, says what's, Ken. And he leaves her to it. And what's hilarious is what happens, like, two scenes later. Carla asks to borrow Nina's hairdryer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes round It all comes round <laughs> On Friday, Ken's smugness doesn't last too long oh. Because the first thing we see on Friday Is Peter fitting on the kitchen floor That was quite shocking as well mm-hmm. Ken quickly calls an ambulance Meanwhile, Carla has sat up all night She's still at Roy's Rolls for some reason She hasn't moved back into the pub Roy gets up and tells her what she needs to hear If it wasn't for her, Peter wouldn't be in recovery because now Because Daisy's in her room now That's true she worries about Simon, but he points out that the confrontation has postponed Peter's death. Before it was a certainty, now it's just a possibility. Well, longer term it's a certainty, I guess. Yeah. So Daniel arrives at the hospital and Ken's already there and fills him in. The sudden withdrawal like from the booze has caused a seizure and he needs to wean himself off it. Peter doesn't think this is going to work. Which is funny because Peter's conscious in his bed and right. everyone's acting like he's not there and referring right. to him in the third person. And, stuff. and it says... He can he can hear you, you know. <laughs> At the factory, Carl has a meeting with an Irish chap called Lucas. He and his empty cup surpriser. They used to have a thing and now he's manufactured this meeting well now. Their meeting is essentially low-level flutting and Carla is already late for our next meeting and Lucas, smooth bastard that he is, suggests continuing this meeting later at the bistro and then maybe I can hang out with you later. Mm-hmm. Ken meets with Roy. Oh, here they come. The geese. Here come the geese. <laughs> Ken meets with Roy under the viaduct and he asks Roy to keep hold of a whiskey bottle that they can decant whenever Peter needs a top-up. Such a shame that Peter can't get into a rehab programme. So Carla has rushed home for a shower. So Carla is now tying with Peter. Right, yes. And her hair is even wet. I know. Mm-hmm. Oh, she needs a hair dryer. Mm. But insists it's just a meeting and she won't be getting her hole or anything. Roy's looking for cream and he's already got whiskey and Carla thinks he's making a boozy pudding but he explains how it's for Peter. He's making a quiche and Peter's supposed to drink now apparently. So she goes to see Peter who isn't pleased at all to see her. She wants to check the whiskey thing. Peter says that she's bad for him and she'll be to blame if he fits again. So off she goes. And Roy comes back to the cafe looking for Carla but Nina says that she's out on a date. She was all done up to the nines. Doesn't let the grass grow that one, says Nina, who has a, had an active role in about 20 different storylines this week. Carla meets up with Lucas in the bistro. They've both changed clothes and they both notice that they've both changed clothes. Mm-hmm. Dry or wet business lunches, asks Lucas. Dry, <laughs> of course, says Carla, which means wine. Right. They pick up where they left off at the factory, reminiscing about all the flirting they used to do back in the day. Carla asks how his nightmare of a girlfriend is doing. She dead, says Lucas. <laughs> Drug overdose, and apparently Carla had predicted this, telling Lucas that he'd chosen to try to fix someone that had chosen to be broken. Right. And despite mm. this downer, the flirting continues. Yes. So Roy takes a quiche to Peter, and while Peter's keen to see the back of him, Roy takes a seat. He has some <laughs> stuff to talk about vis-a-vis Carla. Roy's roundabout way of saying stuff isn't finding a welcome ear with Peter, who says Carla is the worst thing for him right now. Roy says his bitterness is an indicator of the hurt that he's feeling, and if he doesn't act now, it may be too late for them. 
If he does want to care, he's going to need to admit it to her and to himself. Oh, and there's homemade coleslaw in that small pot over there. And later, there's oh, an ex- just Ray, just Roy, just shut up. <laughs> Oi! Peter doesn't need to hear this because now what's going to happen? Oh, exactly what happens. Ugh, which is so dumb and I hate it. I hate it so much. Well, let me get to it. I hate it. Later, there's an exceptionally stressful scene where Ken has served up Peter his shot of whiskey for the day, but Peter doesn't want to take it and he doesn't want to do it while, while Ken's watching, but not <laughs> like that. And Daniel's fussing and then Ken seems to take a funny turn that might be because he forgot to take his meds or he needs sleep, but he can't sleep in case Peter has another seizure. So Peter or maybe ends it's up because, down the whiskey and the stress goes away. Or maybe it's because he's an 81-year-old man who was just punched in the face. <laughs> no, not even any bruising. No. Nothing. Can't be much of a punch. It looked pretty powerful. A woman gasped at all. Back at the factory, Lucas has turned up and announces that he has a hotel room for the weekend because he had a feeling that he'd be getting his hole. Think <laughs> about it, he says. <laughs> that Roy's rules, Carla seems to have accepted. She's all done up and ready to go, despite what Roy has to say about Peter. She says that they're bad for each other. Carla just wants to feel like she isn't everyone's favourite car crash for one weekend. And so she leaves. Which is valid. Carla's feelings are valid here mm-hmm. and nobody seems to want to accept that Carla's feelings are valid. Not even Roy, who's supposed to be in her corner. Even Roy, who's supposed to be in Carla's corner, is thinking that she's much better off with that disgusting shitbag Peter <laughs> than just moving on and being happy. He's Everybody, never approved of the... the- Carl of Peter thing. Right, and yet now all of a sudden he does approve and wants to get them back together. Because Peter was an utter dick. He is an utter dick. He's still when he an was utter dick. In Roy's, Roy's house, yes. Why is Roy doing this? So she leaves and runs straight into Peter. She <gasps> tells him she agrees that she's bad for him and so she's leaving. He says he can't do this on his own. He needs her. Ah! And he begs her not to go. No! Think about it, he says. That's two minutes ah. to think about it. And then he leaves her standing outside the cafe. I hate this. I hate so, it so much. So Carla goes to see Lucas and his empty cup for the tram station. Oh. She can't go. She's needed here. But Lucas explains that he regrets sticking with his girlfriend and wasting years of his life. He seems like a lovely chap. <laughs> he encourages her to think of herself and she can't keep living her life for other people. Right, yes. And this Codependency no more. And the two of them go off. Don't be codependent with him. Come be codependent with me. No, but he's not He's not asking her to be codependent. Well, they're both the, um, the victim of a poisonous relationship. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything, though. Hmm. And this seems to swing it, and the two of them go off. So Peter's sitting outside, looking like Mickey Mouse under two smallish wagon wheels on the wall of the yard. <laughs> Ken, apparently, is fine now. Peter realises that he's been too keen to punish Carla rather than to forgive her. And now it's too late. Except it isn't because Carla didn't leave. No! And she comes in from the gunnel. And Peter breaks down in thankful tears. Boo! And that's how we end this week's episodes. Boo! I hate this so much. I like that ending. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I kind it. of cheered a wee bit at the end. I hate it. It was lovely. No, it's not lovely. He's been a dick and an asshole to her this whole time, has been treating her like shit, and the second that he thinks that maybe she's going to get away and ha- find happiness elsewhere, now all of a sudden he wants her back. Boo! Boo, I say! This is the worst! And the fact that she 
does come back. Boo! The codependency here is so off the charts awful. This is such a poor... It's like all the way around, not just Carla, but the family as well. Everybody here is just such a bad example of what you don't do when your loved one is an alcoholic, first of all. And second of all, do we really need to keep watching this car crash of a relationship over and over again? It's not romantic. It's not lovely. It's not sweet. It's codependency. It's abusive. It's emotional abuse, what Peter keeps putting Carla through, and I'm done with it. I'm so done with it. I am so angry right now. You see how you hit your uh, microphone stand and it didn't make a noise? Right, it's because of the star thing. Yep. Yeah. Doing their job. Yeah. 20 bucks well spent. Mm. Although it was lovely. Anyway, you're a fucking idiot then. Because <laughs> there's That's part a... of you that just, just does want them to get back together again. No, they are codependent. No, but, but no they you don't want them to be together again. You want Carla to find happiness with somebody else. No, that's Lucas Prick. He's just as bad. I He's felt. not as I've... bad. He was very nice <sighs> and he was very sweet. He said, you know, we don't have to do anything. I'm not trying to he pressure you into a relationship or anything. I thought we liked the Irish. I we thought do. we preferred the Irish to the English. I just wanted to say something potentially shocking. <laughs> it didn't really work. I don't know. He's a man. Of course he doesn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's a better way of expressing that. Uh, it's he just, wants his whole. No, I don't. I don't he like. He didn't it. get a hotel view, a hotel room, just so they could enjoy the views. We can be enjoying the views of Carlos Ferry, <laughs> which is um, it's better coming out of your mouth than. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't like it. I don't. It's just. It's. It's such a t- bad, toxic relationship, and the fact that some of us are celebrating a bad, toxic relationship. It's, it's just proof of how detrimental storylines like this can be to people in real life who think this is so sweet and romantic. No, it's not sweet and romantic. I, it's I, awful. I, I know that it's bad. <laughs> I think from the story point of view, though, I don't really want Peter to die. I, could, I know you don't really care for I Peter. I want Peter to die. I, I, I don't I don't feel as strongly. Want him to die a slow, I, slow death. I think he's done a great job. I've enjoyed watching this. Oh, the acting, acting is exceptional. Um, don't get me wrong. The acting is fine. It's good. He's a very good actor. And I don't like the character. I no. don't like them continuously getting back together again in a very detrimental, toxic relationship to both of them. You know, it's boring at this point. It's boring. Yeah. It's boring and it's not good for anybody. I, Do something new. No, I, 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 I understand. I, I, I think it was, if you can ignore all the, the shit that's flown under the burning bridges over the years with them, it was a kind of, it was a, it was a nicely, a contrived ending to the week where she comes back and you're like I think on on examination of it it probably wasn't the best thing for her to do I, no. I, I will happily concede that no and it probably wasn't the best thing for him for her to, to come back no because what does this say this says alright 
I will forgive you over and over and over again, no matter how badly you treat me and no badly how no matter how badly you treat yourself. This is just it further enabling, which his family's already doing a great job of enabling him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that moment though, when it's not too late. I, I felt like the, it was a little heartwarming. No, but, it wasn't. But I but I, I, I will it made my blood run cold. That it doesn't stand up to much scrutiny. No, it made my blood run cold. <laughs> this poor woman is stuck. Circling the drain. <laughs> that is Peter. Right. It's a little bit like that triangle movie. Ugh. Which nobody's seen, so no, I won't say Doesn't even matter. It. Oh, I hate it. Good hate movie, it. Hate it. Think Ken will ever recover from being punched to the floor by his fifty odd year old son. Who's in relatively good shape for being, you know, an alcoholic whose liver is dying. Do you know what I really didn't approve of? His here's, face here's should have been bruised. His nose should have been broken. Something he should have. There's just like a little bit of jam in his nose, and that's it. What I really disapproved of was Carla getting the blame for not realizing this was the 50th anniversary of uh, Valerie accidentally Dying. electrocuting herself with a hairdryer. Yeah, that was pretty. Wait a minute, I'm getting the blame for this. How? Yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. That she doesn't remember. That Peter is sad because his mother, who he didn't even really know... Nobody's told her. ...died. She so can't he's, be he's sad that his mother died 50 years ago. His mother that he didn't know... I don't think he's sad about that at all. I think he just fancies a drink. Right, yeah, but he does say something to Ken oh, about does. it. Yeah, he does. Because he's remembered and then we can blame that. Right. Well, that was the week that was Coronation Street, I guess. Yeah, they're obviously, you know... Not, not getting advice from Alcoholics Anonymous about this storyline. Stand down. We have this covered. <laughs> What's your moment of the week? Uh, well, not that. <laughs> I quite. I, I thought the Peter Deck and Ken thing was. Um, uh, uh, okay, that did give me a little bit of joy, <laughs> but not that. <laughs> Just because Ken deserves it too. Hmm. Last week was so much better than this week. Yeah. Geese. Can't be Gilp's fun, it really can't. It really can't. Or... <laughs> distracted by the geese um let's see here what did i like this week well you had practically nothing to say whatsoever about the whole um coordination street towers thing right because it feels like it's winding down i i don't believe that abby believes that debbie could actually kill ray there was nothing in michael or grace i think no to merit this no then we're on to gail's fanny Mm-hmm. But not like that. And then we had a couple of scenes of poverty porn. Right. And then we had Todd the Prick. And then we had Asha. And then we're on to Peter's Liver. If this was a Hollywood movie, they've thrown the bucks wanting an Oscar nomination for something in the Peter's Liver storyline. Right. I'm so tempted to just give it to Gil. <laughs> 
scene that scene in uh in the rovers where uh gail and eileen are are trading barbs about who has the worst husbands that was kind of funny i liked that george draining his spuds <laughs> not that part the face that she made when he announced that was priceless <clears throat> you know what let's 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 just let's just give it to peter punching his dad in the face because that was the only little bit of that storyline that gave me joy. It, even though even though it really didn't pay off very well because Ken is not actually hurt. It does. <laughs> Shame that an 81-year-old man is unharmed. News at 11. The, People actually got offended by this. People are like enraged that Peter hit Ken. And it's like, do we not remember that Daniel pushed, pushed him down, down the, the stairs? stairs. So, and actually was trying to kill him. It did proved to be quite a, a turning point. It was. And it's so in that regard. Right. Yeah. Okay, let's give it to that. Fine. Peter Deck and Ken, that's our moment of the week. Um moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Hmm. Gee. There's so many to choose from. There was one scene where I was so bored that I kind of stopped paying attention as to what was happening and I had to watch it again and it nearly happened for a second time what was that? And I was actually talking about his piano, it went on forever and it was like really really dull that was really boring but um, there's a reason for it though yeah but in that moment watching oh, that scene God. that went on forever in speed dial right and you know him explaining about wanting, the whole explanation for why he's downsizing because he's not moving no he just wants to get rid of some stuff. Right. So he wants to get rid of this piano that meant a great deal to him and that his parents gave him. Yep. Why? Just so Todd could have this plot to... Yeah, that's... That's a boring moment of the week. Yeah, it's a boring moment of the week. Yo. You want to wrap this one up then? Please. Do you announce to the room every time you go for a pee? Well, wash your hands and then let us know about it. We're at talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also our address on Skype for voicemail on PayPal if you want to chuck a Are couple his, of bucks that's into That's supposed to be his balls. Because draining your spuds, what, what is it even supposed to mean? Because his urine comes from his bladder, which is not a spud-shaped object at all. He says spuds, meaning two. Bucks in their virtual tip jar. <laughs> We're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel, links to which you can find on our Twitter bio or on the other stuff page of talkofthestreet.podbean.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcaster provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We will be back Bye. next week with more Talk, Talk of the, the Street. Street. Welcome back, Helen. Hopefully Bye. it'll be better. Bye. Bye.